0: Welcome to Revealing Men, conversations that pull back the curtain, revealing the inner lives of men. I'm Randy Flood, psychotherapist and director of the Men's Resource Center of West Michigan. Today I have my friend, Tommy Allen here, and he's a local artist and he and I went to school together, not kindergarten, but college together and room together. but He's got quite a journey and I told him about my podcast and and I said, you know, I would really like you to come in and talk about your journey as a gay man coming out and the challenges of that, you know, when it comes to the intersections of masculinity and identities. And so he said, sure, I'll do that did you, Tommy? I I did.
1: It's just like the <laughs> consent portion of the podcast. Yes, I you're consent not, to the ground up. rules. You're not tied up? <laughs> it is revealing, so it's It's appropriate to say right. that I've taken off a couple articles of clothing um, <laughs> just to kind of get me ready to share. There are no shoes on my feet and the shirt is off. I mean, right. not all the way down to...
0: Revealing men is about revealing <laughs> our
1: inner lives, not oh,
0: our nakedness. So I just, so got
1: the wrong memo shoot. then on this one. How did I mess that up? <laughs> Let me put my clothes back on. <laughs> I'm getting okay. consent again is important, and I agree to that. Okay. I just feel awkward now sitting here with no clothes on. Okay. You're fine.
0: <laughs> so, what I'd like to start out with basically is just tell us a little bit about as we sit here in my office, we are looking at one, two pieces of Tommy's artwork. One is an Abe Lincoln piece and the other one, I don't know what you'd call it. It's kind of a, what was a... Well,
1: it's an homage to my childhood, really. I mean, those are cars that I played with as a kid. And having grown up in Flint, Michigan, I think, you know, anybody who grows up in the east side of the state, you cannot, especially the era that I come from and being born in in the 1960s, um, car culture is a big part of my world. So it would obviously factor into my work, which is always very personal. Yeah. I wasn't around when Abe Lincoln was here, just so (laughs) So the audience knows I'm not that old. (laughs) Right. But I
0: love that piece because you 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 you, people think of Abe Lincoln as a stoic man, but you wanted to give, you know, some color to his life and a lot of emotionality. And that's why I was attracted to it and wanted in my office. Because even though someone projects stoicism we still know there's a lot of
1: emotionality underneath it. And you did a a nice job showing that. You know, I think sometimes what people forget about with Abraham Lincoln is that it really is many... First off, he's a character Mm -hmm. in in history, especially in American history, but also world history, I believe, where a lot of people um, pin a lot of hopes and dreams and aspirations to, not just for themselves, but what they think saw what was possible in a, in a human or in a man in this case. Right. It was a very male-dominated world, let's be honest, in that era. It was very dominated by white men, uh, very different than the world we have today and the world we're trying to create. I think it's individuals who believe there's much more diversity as far as like not just neurodiversity, but also diversity in every way in our community. And how do we welcome those voices? But at yeah. the same time, acknowledge that there's, Controversy, there's conflict. And, you know, much like critical race theory today, you know, what I've always enjoyed about Abraham Lincoln is that. excuse me, he is tied in some ways to critical race theory because we do have to examine his life as well and the context of the choices that he made within the time, but also understanding some of those choices may not be popular today. So in a cancel culture environment, how does one reconcile that past? And so for me, Abraham Lincoln began as an exercise for me to have a conversation about difficult moments in time, meaning uh, Abraham Lincoln was dealing with a very divided nation, And we still are today, I would say. And maybe we always will be a divided nation. But at the end of the day, Lincoln also encourages people to. when I do the paintings, I find especially updating them in the colorful ways that I do, it's reappropriating the image for a modern audience, but also allowing the audience to have a dialogue first with me as, a, as an artist often, and then other times I have this dialogue um, with the piece from what I learn from either my own history or from when people share things. So for example, in that case, and I, I know we're not here to talk about art, but I think it does factor into who I am because it comes from me and it's a part of me. Right. Um, I think, you know, having come, conversations around topics outside of like slavery and his role um, moves us into other areas we have to discuss, like how his record was with Native Americans, which we know was not great. Right. So there is always going to be a constant reconciliation, I think, with Abraham Lincoln with all of us. But I don't think that's anything to be threatened by. I think it's, it's good to have dialogue around these things and revisit our idols every once in a while sure. and, and decide, you know, do they do the best they can with what they have? Yes. But did they always make the right decisions? Right. Probably history would tell us not, not so always much. the best. Right. But it yeah. but it is difficult to be a leader. I know that now as I get older.
0: Yeah. Well, as we transition and start talking about your journey, um in trying to help other men who might be listening to to um to this podcast and being able to Reveal themselves, you're willing to come in and talk about your journey and growing up in the 80s and and, uh, as a a white male in Flint, um, not maybe even knowing you were gay at the time, but just talking about your journey as a man, as a journey, as a, and what awakenings you had and some of the struggles you had with that, so...
1: Well, I think, you know, when you say growing up, I think there is this idea that I've, uh, and again, you would know the scholarship on this more than I would, but so just through self-exploration, and maybe it is being a male of a certain age now over 50, um, Mm. something that has been quite enlightening, um, but also quite interesting too, in the sense that I'm not always sure um, where I land on the topic. Like, do you really like the question is, do you enjoy your 50s? Answer might be honestly some days absolutely not other days yeah. like yeah this is not bad um, so it's it's a constant um, Yelp review in the works it feels like sure. for my life sure but um, when you say about growing up I think the the thing I want to get to is this idea of. We often have, I think, as—and I often use the word queer here. I should just kind of lay down a language rule. Um, I will often use queer when referring to myself more and more because I find sometimes within gay, although it is something that I think is, uh, you know, one of the very first letters that was added to the very long list of letters that we use these days to welcome more people into uh, a queer umbrella, um, I find sometimes that I'm a little more not always falling on the gay spectrum as I used to. Um, I've been working with a lot of my trans friends and having a lot of deep conversations about this very topic about masculinity and the conformity that one does uh, to society. And then where do you find yourself when you're outside that box? Right. So I find that a lot of times my my maleness, even within my own chosen family, but also within my, my circle of friends, means that my identity is always... Um, up for grabs from others to interpret, but also for me too. And a lot of it's just based upon surface. Sometimes if I wear something, it's not as male presenting. It might someone say like, are those women's sunglasses? And I always answer, no, they're Tommy Allen sunglasses. (laughs) I mean, so it's a way of kind of flipping things around. But the idea is when I talked about this idea about delayed um, growing up, when you said growing up in the 80s, really, I think I was growing up in the 60s when I was born. I just was growing up under... As I would become more aware, a very, very tight net of experiences and that if I wanted to venture out, there were either going to be consequences or it just wasn't encouraged. And so I think when we talk about queer people, in this case, myself, gay man, younger, was I didn't get to invite the person I wanted to take to prom. I didn't get to, you know, ask that guy out on a date and give my first kiss to the boy I wanted. Right. We would often have to code switch and code switching um something that's been a part of my last Laugh Fest show was this piece I did where I talked about the need to apologize to the women who I would often and very clearly use to cover my gayness in a religious environment I was living in. So this religious environment is probably not unlike a lot of people right. probably have experience where your family has a belief system. They have a place that they worship. It could be a church, a temple, a mosque, all these places that are, are sacred spaces that your family participates in as a form of community. And then for my family, it was moving around to different religious schools. So I was always being picked up much like an army brat and transferred to the next school That my parents liked. Maybe they had a a doctrine fallout, and they were very absolute, saying, "No more. We're going to move on," and would rip me out of one school and place me in another. So I went from public schools the first couple years to being placed in religious schools, where you know every couple years it seemed like my parents were moving us to another one. So that, so that was, in some ways, I would imagine. Because you, as I know you, you're very
0: social. <laughs> you're yeah, s- and you're you make connections um, quickly, and so then you probably develop some relationships, and then boom, you're yeah, off to it.
1: yeah, you you do you you develop those relationships, but then then you're ripped from you, and yeah. so you know when you're when you're having to hide yourself, remember these are institutions where every day I was reminded I had no value, I had no worth. Mm. My life was disposable. My life was destined in this case for the supernatural side of things to burn a fiery death forever and ever and ever. Just because I had feelings for boys. The kids that were across the desk from me were people that were the object of my desire. No, not much different, I would say, than anybody else goes through. Right. But except for queer people of that era, that time, uh, it was frowned upon, especially within, you know, very religious institutions right. like a Christian school.
0: And and you grew up, and as I grew up as well, believing that being gay was a choice. I mean, that was... I don't know if I ever believed that. No,
1: you probably didn't, but I did. Oh, you were a straight man. Yeah, of course. When
0: when you came out to me in college, I remember saying to you, why would you do choose to be gay and I remember what you said you remember what you said to me I, I think well why did anybody choose this I mean come on <laughs> why, why would I choose I, this I life? mean it's, it's, yeah. it's
1: really especially back then I think now yeah. it's way more fabulous to like say I <laughs> mean god they're having coming out parties for people like in youth and you know yeah. it's just it's so different and I'm so glad we're there but I yeah. think you know, we forget that we raised a whole generation of people that some people have picked up on it and said, yeah, this this way of doing things is wrong, like telling kids that they're damned or broken or something wrong with them. I mean, growing up, I always had around me, um, it seemed like, and it was always men always boys. I will use the context of boys here, and please don't take it out of context, meaning yeah. that when I say the word boys, I'm referring to I'm now a boy when I talk about boys. Okay, And so I just make sure I'm very clear to the readers. I don't want to have any kind of weirdness or the right. readers. What am I? I feel like I'm at back at my back at my job at Rapid Growth. No. Yeah. Um, but, but I do think it's important to remember that you were a boy once, you were a girl, you were non-binary maybe once and couldn't express it. But the idea is that you had desires and you wanted to act upon them, but you also knew the risk involved with it. So right. it was always this, there, there was a bit of a thrill. And maybe that's something that queer culture has had to deal with over the years is that we sometimes become risk takers, I think, later in life because we're trying to catch up, for example. You know, what, is the, what are the lessons learned from when you were dating, for example? Yeah. When you were dating your first uh, girlfriend, um, how old were you, for example? I mean your first girlfriend, the first girl you ever kissed, how old were you really? Like 14, 12? No,
0: I was younger than that. I was I was a you quite and a the caster, no, for
1: up there in Hart, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean
0: we pl- we we had, you know, yeah, kissing cousins to, you know, neighborhoods we would get together kissin and Kissing chal-
1: cousins, that just yeah, sounds like
0: chal- yeah, my
1: yeah, I don't want to go I there. I don't, I, to name, I don't want to name them on
0: on the, on the on this podcast. But you no, know, we would play and we would have these circles. We would truth oh, or dare. I see. Okay, and, and then you you have to kiss her or whatever. Right. Well, I never dared to kiss another guy. So. Oh well, <laughs> not in heart.
1: Well, I, I was mean, I was pretty sexually active. I think as a as a younger um, child, I'd find ways to have an outlet, but it was always um, it was always different. Yeah. You know well, you
0: what well, you're what you're saying though is that you had to suppress this part of yourself right. um and there's a lot of pain with that and you're becoming more connected to that in terms of what it took to have to kind of self face and and hide or conform
1: sure. or or put on other other garments other other yeah. personas, so you know it's very easy for an uh an an oldest child to um be First off, I was an artist. I think as a child, and I was um, eccentric in that way to everybody else because everybody, nobody else was doing the things I was doing. I was being very creative in everything I approached in my life. Yeah. But I do think, though, when we we get to the idea of what does your first kiss mean? If I'm just kissing women, but I want to kiss men, there's something going on in my head and my body yeah. that. Um, in hindsight is really messed up and wrong for a child to go through. Yeah. It's it's what I think I the world I came into was a lot of gay men who had families. So back in the day when I was coming out and at college as I did in my 20s, I was uh really quite frankly um i was uh, I was a little bit shocked to see how many men had families had kids, meaning that they had they had um married a woman and had children. And then at some point, maybe it was liberation, maybe it was, you know things changing, coming to the realization therapy. Yep. people were able to start living their lives more fully. but the the and I don't want to call someone's children the the byproduct of that deceit because sometimes I think men did love the women they were with because it was the times ran. I've met a lot of men who are in their 90s and, um, you know, talk about their early years. And, you know, it was a much higher risk back then. If you think about what it was like to be a 90-year-old Queer male in this world, and thinking back in time, you know, uh, just the very act of journaling would often get you um, locked up, and and then our bodies were tested upon. This is something we haven't talked about a lot also in psychiatry, I think, or psychological spaces, is how much torture was done to queer people in the days out of the guise of science. And if you think, uh, this is the latest thing I've come to the conclusion, is, is that if you feel that it's hard now, imagine what it was like then. When, you know, rampant homophobia was left unchecked to run through the halls of science that often were there supposedly to help us, but really, did they do more harm than good? And I would say that's probably the case until uh, psychiatry uh, reclassified what it was to be queer in the 1970s, and things began to move forward. But again, it still hasn't moved fast enough.
0: Yeah, the DSM, it used to be that being gay was a
1: psychiatric disorder. Do you mind saying what the DSM is for the audience? (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm not that kind what of psychologist. DS- what is di- the D- It's a
0: diagnostic manual that, okay. we,
1: that we all uh, I just use didn't know what it was. To,
0: to categorize people with depression or anxiety. Okay. And so I think it was 1957 when Evelyn Hooker was the first person who proposed that we should probably not give people a psychiatric disorder.
1: And look how long that took to change it, though, not oh, yeah. until but the 70s. Yeah, so the change, change is heart.
0: Change therapy and stuff. What I'm curious about is that, you know, gr- when I grew up, <clears throat> There were two things that a, that a, that a man should not be. And that was a gay male or, or a woman. So stop acting like a gay man, stop acting like a lady, get back in the box and be a real man.
1: But how weird it is that, <laughs> that these people who are saying this, we had already gone through Bob Hope and his tour where they always dressed up in drag to even Milton Berle was always, and then Flip Wilson. So yeah. men dressing up as women was often a comic relief. And I think part of my code switching was also understanding that if you were funny, you could deflect. If you were quick-witted or had improv skills, as I have, then you could get yourself out of a situation. Um, Not everybody's blessed with those talents. I recognize that. But I I do think that they helped me survive to be able to code switch into comfortable suits that people were accepting me as, like as a cheerleader, not as a real cheerleader, but uh, I would wear a mascot uniform, for example. So I'd hide myself under a, a giant eagle and be the school mascot. Um, but I could act out as yeah, an eagle, but sure. was I acting out as an eagle or was I a gay man acting out as an eagle? I would say it was a gay man acting out <laughs> as an eagle, and I was really fabulous at it, by Yeah, the way. yeah. It was our first eagle, by the way. Well, the, well, just, I
0: mean, the costume of masculinity is, I mean, I remember when you and I went to school together in college mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, you used to mock me because I was wearing really just traditional.
1: Very preppy, I would say, for the time wear. period men's wear. Yeah. And then, and then, then I would wear like pajama bottoms and call them my shorts, and I'd wear them out in public. I realized that I was well, very much influenced. Well, you you, you, by, was,
0: you had more color, you yeah. had more, you know, just different things. And then yeah. I then I started wearing your clothes sometimes. Well, yeah, <laughs> I noticed
1: you've been shopping AK Ricks. So like am going, this guy is really following me. No, <laughs> obvious plug for AK, AK Ricks here. Yeah.
0: But anyway, just yeah. that the, the more. More openness that we have now yeah. in culture for for guys to be able to express themselves, you know, and and again, historically, it's like any time you tried to do that, you got these are you gay or are you right. trying to act like a right. woman? There we had these just rigid categories, and for yeah. you to grow up, I'm just wondering how do you reconcile with your masculinity and that. I mean, what was that like for you?
1: I, I I, honestly, I think one of the things that's really fascinating about this is maybe it was just like the blindness of just not, I mean, there were things I cared about and things I didn't care about. And one thing I didn't care about, I, one thing I didn't care about, was if I was emulating pop culture. You know, it'd been kind of forbidden. But you know, what is one of my favorite albums? Elton John's um, Captain Fantastic yeah, and the well, Brown, yeah. Bur- Brown Dirt Cowboy yeah. still is one of my favorite albums of all time. But what's fascinating about it was the cover artwork was so ludicrous and how it was over right. the top. And I loved that as an artist. I loved it as a queer person um, because I, I thought, okay, here's somebody who's having a lot of fun. And Elton hadn't come out yet. So Elton's right. antics are wearing the duck suit or dressing up like a baseball player or whatever. He was in many ways um, doing some of the things I was doing as well for an audience. He was performing. And so when you're, you're a when you're when you realize what the game is, and once you understand what the land the lay of the land is, you then, as an artist, especially as I was, how can I push the limits? And mm-hmm. so I think the way I pushed the limits for myself about masculinity and how one dresses and within the environment was I acknowledged that the culture was already experiencing it. Why wouldn't I be influenced by it? So when I went to the quote school dance, which wasn't a dance because we don't dance. It was more like uh, a bunch of, you know, folding tables and dinner because, you know, fundamentalists love to eat, but we don't dance, (laughs) which is really a a lost opportunity for, you know, getting your steps in, I'm just going to say, especially (laughs) health-wise. I I dressed up at this one particular one, I remember, um, as a... um, well, basically as John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever and showed up head to toe, silk, white shirt, flowy, billowy, mm-hmm. uh, black vest that I had my mother make for me. I had found some black pants at Chess King because everybody went Chess King. Chess and I looked King. like I was ready to go to the disco, but instead I was going to eat like, you know, heavenly carved food, like everything's wrapped in breading, um, and sat down with my date rose who, again, factored into my last Laugh Fest show because um, I had to talk about that first kiss with Rose and Mm. what that, um, well, how was I going to get out of it? Because once the, you know, once I wasn't delivering the kiss, for example, as the show talks about, Rose comes in with the tongue for the French kiss, and I was not prepared for it, just saying that. But back to masculinity and one's attire, um, I think it is you understand, once you understand the system you're in, then you figure out, okay, how is it I can work with what I have here. And that's often what I often talk about, you know, in my own life is that when something bad has happened, like having a major uh, car collision in 2006 and realizing the life I thought I was going to have had now drastically changed because of my body being damaged in such a way that certain things were taken away from me. But instead of being sad, I would always say, and maybe this is part of being, you know, um, resourceful as a young queer child was... um, I'll work with what I have. And that's what I've always done. I've just mm-hmm. worked with what I have or what I've been given. And it wasn't always great because, I mean, yeah, we can talk about being growing up in Flint, but there was a time my parents sent me 45 minutes north to a school with farming kids that was in a church, basically in their their big rec room where they would close those clapping doors, you know, they're razor thin. So you hear everybody else in their classroom. Um, you know, that was, that was pretty traumatic for me that year. Um, I found my diary recently and I was going through it and I was reading the notes and I'm like going, gosh, you were sick a lot during that year. And then I realized what it was is that I just didn't want to be there.
0: I, would imagine I felt not. afraid. You yeah. know, I found
1: ways to get out of playing soccer because I didn't want to be naked or vulnerable with these farm kids. And it was nothing against farming. I loved the country, but it was just in that yeah. era, um, you know, I was really afraid for what would happen to me. I mean, bullying is real. I mean, yeah. it is very real. And um in those days, I would say if you were queer or different, um, bullying was almost the norm. You were going to expect it. So many ways, I would become um, a champion for the downtrodden. Even in kindergarten, I recognized this when my best friend Terry was being attacked by a bunch of girls. And they were being mean to her. And I come in with my, again, I had this non-presenting male play toy that was like a thing you wrap it goes around your ankle and you, a little bell on the end and I'm skipping around and, and everything right. and as soon as I saw that they were attacking my friend Terry again I don't like people attack women um, I off came the bell and I just started swinging it as a 12 year old <laughs> to kind of break up the gang that was descending on her and then we oh. decided to call ourselves brothers and sisters at that point that we just lived in separate households and our parents weren't in the same house. It was an elaborate scheme to protect one but it was a way to kind of build uh, a friendship that is still with me to this day, yeah. believe it or not, even oh. after all those years. So did
0: you did you get targeted? I mean, did people, were you able to, some people will hide their gayness, if you will, to try to protect themselves from not being targeted. Because again, there was so much about targeting yeah. people who looked gay or sounded gay and then pick on them, mock them. Did you have ways of like camouflaging yourself or... Did you get targeted at all? <laughs> well,
1: if I was camouflaging myself, I wouldn't have been wearing the clothes I was Probably wearing back not. then because I very was very good at that. Yeah. I, I had a real flair for fashion when I was younger. I really did enjoy it. And um, you know, I remember you know, what it was like to go to farm school because everybody had the Future Farmer of America jackets. I didn't. So I stood out there. So no matter what I wore, so if I went to the mall and bought something from the fair, it was called, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I think in those days, I might have looked a little bit like WKRP, like a member of the cast, because I was, again, watching a lot of the sitcoms and pulling cues for fashion. But um, as it relates to bullying, no, I think what ends up happening is, you become so good at hiding yourself that these other characters that you have to take on to, or other areas of yourself that you light up might be a better word. So lighting up my creativity would put me in art classes and maybe okay. working on a yearbook. Um but there was always the fear of being alone. And if you were not, so it's like anybody else, if you're out of your element, you're not in your neighborhood anymore, you're outside your zone, right. um, you're not going to find maybe the um, comfort and safety you you've been able to do. So I really worked to eliminate those areas of my life that would um, put me in harm's way. I think it's yeah. just called street sense by today's right. standard. Right. So I think as I got older though, through high school, I became bolder because I, I really began to not care. I think at, I I do believe, because it wasn't a digital era yet, it was very analog, these worlds that we lived in then, um, there wasn't some of the risk we have today, like we see with youth where they are often... Um, you know, bullied through text messages. Maybe they have let a, uh, a nude out or something of themselves. Yeah. Um, this is something be very foreign for us because you'd still have to go to the photo map and say like, hey, my picture's done of my nudes. You know, you, you couldn't do that back then. But right. as things became more in-house and what you could do, um, the vulnerabilities began to grow. I think for a lot of people we've seen yeah. through bullying and everything. But for me, I think a lot of it was just maybe being creative and having an improv brain. Uh, I was only in one fight the whole time I was in school, and I think I won it, and I, I, I was mad. The kid was being a jerk he pushed me over he knew that he could make me trip because when he saw the books behind me and so he pushed me and I lost my balance fall over and I just got up and gave him my best left hook and next thing I know I'm in the principal's office <laughs> Good, so congratulations <laughs> well you know it's again you know it's like you know did I did I model masculinity or is this just, well, it's just you know this a is just a natural reaction, reaction. Right. like well, you, you yeah. yeah you
0: look at today I mean it's like you fast forward and, and again looking at the intersections of masculine identity and, and a gay identity or a queer identity. And then you have this recent disclosure of this uh, uh, Los Angeles Raiders defensive end um, comes out as gay. Yeah, and he's the first active NFL player that's that's openly gay that's going to be playing the game of football and now yeah. now there's other NFL football players who were gay, are coming out and talking about having- Who work, were or are gay? Who are gay. Okay. And, but they hid that part of themselves when they played. They did not come out and say well, that. How were. do you
1: play football gay? That's what I want well, to know. I mean, come the, on. Well, come they on. Would say,
0: he said that when he watched film and stuff, he would make sure, that you know, am I walking gay? He was just terrified oh, wow. Wow. Of, of being revealed. And so my point is, is that- these intersections, you know, before we had these distinct categories. If you were gay, it was like you. There's no way you could be masculine, and now we've got this NFL football player who is really like the pinnacle of masculinity, and now he's saying he's gay. And so, I the thing, I, the fluidity in the intersections that we're now seeing that you and I didn't grow up in, I think, is beautiful. Right.
1: Well, I think the binary was, well, first off, I think there is a problem with the binary. And I think if I was to be really out there, and I I do enjoy science fiction, I always say that is 20 minutes into the future, meaning this is not the, we're all walking around in perfectly white Pantsuits, which doesn't show any of our flaws. Uh, I shouldn't say flaws. Any of our our deluxe parts, let's say, um, <laughs> super deluxe and others like me. Um, especially, thank you, COVID. But yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do think there is something really. Um, I think it's important that people keep coming out. I think it's important we see people come out in fields. But as far as like, is is it a relatively new thing to be masculine and gay? No, no I, I would say no. it's always been there. And there are plenty of people in my world who have always been masculine. I think a lot of times though, it's not... Our problem as queer people, right. it is society's problem. It often is the people who are in the power structures yeah. to you know, and that's that's the thing I always say. Like I really am tired after you know forty years of being um, in the trenches. I think since I moved here and started to become aware of my role, but also entering you know as a youth coming out right as AIDS is happening. Um, I think um, it's it's very important that we lose sight. We don't lose sight of the fact that it's not the lack of will and prayer people that these things aren't happening. It's really on whether straight society, if that's what we want to call it, those who are in the guard of 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 holding on to the reins of power in this area and, and denying, denying, denying as we do. It's It's on them. If they want us to be a part of society or not, they have to welcome us. But, you know, asking us to always subscribe to some sort of approved channel, you know, I was guilty of it maybe in the early days of like looking down maybe on certain behaviors because I felt like it might be pushing us backwards. So where New York was maybe way ahead of us and their parades were very out there, um, for us, it was more humble, those of us in the Midwest, because... Again, the modern pride movement began as an uprising in 1969. Yeah, When I'm coming out in 1981, it didn't take me until I was a little bit older here to realize we were not that far down the road. And that was started on the coast. So for us here, it's a little bit of a delayed reaction, but at least it seems like it's speeding up now. Yeah. But as far as masculinity goes, I think really... Um, I think it's important we keep seeing people come out, but I also, there's a part of me that's like, okay, check that box, move on. You know, it's like, I I don't feel like, you know, we're going to stop everything and put you on the cover of Time Magazine like we did with Ellen, for example, because you came out. It'd be great because I really appreciate what he just said about the reason he came out was not for ego, was not to boast his own, but it was really understanding. And that's the thing is when we understand the risk of people who are not bold like me or loud like this player, where he can exist in this world, world through code switching, or maybe um, even through trying to hide himself so he can advance his career, which really says a lot about the world then about him is he has to always be adjusting himself to be successful because we've yeah. seen what happens when people step out of their lane. Yeah. Uh, Kaepernick is a good example of that. He stepped up for his beliefs. He got down on a knee, and yet everybody collectively crapped their pants in America. It's like, why? is this hard to understand. If you live in the city as I have for probably 30, 40 years now, over 40 now, um, you know from your neighbors and also from living that the experience of black people is much different in America than it is for even white men. And right. even white gay men, it's different. So yeah. even this guy coming out, masculinity aside, um, I think it's important, um, but it's a part of the piece that continually has to be happening in society. Right. They always used to say, "Um, you know, come out, come out from wherever you are was right. the old thing. And now I've come to the conclusion that, My life is really a constant state of coming out because if I don't, then my silence in some ways is a form of violence and saying that I approve. So being out and lending that, putting that out there is a great way for me to not only not fall back into bad patterns, so trying to shrink myself to make someone happy or comfortable. um, Really, it's my way of declaring this is who I am and my independence and that, you know, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah, I mean I'm in therapy again after ten years and not being in therapy, but who wouldn't be in therapy after COVID? And I had a puppy die after two months and it just triggered everything. Yeah. A, and I again, um I really I really think though that um the masculinity thing sometimes needs to be thrown aside because um we've seen the toxic side of it. Yeah. Um well what what we're yeah. trying to
0: say now is 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 kind of like making it a plural masculinities and that there's different ways. Which is
1: so important.
0: Different ways of being masculine in the world. And, yeah. and so rather than this narrow view, we're calling it a toxic form now, but call it what you want, but words get in the way of trying to define something sometimes. But there are mm-hmm. different ways in which you can be a man in this world. And so you coming on today and talking about your journey and in the intersection yeah. of your identity and masculinity is part of Given our listeners a chance to hear that there are masculinities. And just because you're gay doesn't mean you're not masculine in these categories. We're blowing up.
1: You know? Well, that is beautiful. That's why I think the binary is in real danger of being shifted even more dramatically than we see today. And I really like going back to the 20 Minutes into the Future comment, I really believe that we are we are probably within 30 years, if even that, where this idea of a uh, male and female gender is gonna become much more complex. Yeah. I mean, how can it not be if you're watching, if you are paying attention to watching Gen Z? If we thought millennials. Yeah. We're going to be yeah. um, groundbreakers, you know, uh, look at Gen Z. And Gen Z reminds you a lot of Gen X, which I was very close to. I was like on the I was on the front end of it. I always call myself um, Grandfather X um, because I was in this group that's kind of often put in the middle, that transition group. So there's these transition groups. And so the group I'm I have the most affinity for right now and through conversations like we had an intern, by the way, it was Gen Z. Uh, what I really appreciate was how much Gen Z, right now is operating like gen x was in that moment of right. uh, following a very large population class and so i'm beginning to see that the real movement um millennials will figure it out and they will do what they do but the the movement is always with youth i always say yeah you know who i was younger became who we are today in many ways right. um society has caught up in a lot of ways but in other ways it hasn't but who will continue that work i think will be gen z and everybody after them yeah and it's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I think it'll, if you look at how we're already—I always say—Facebook is like when we, they got caught with Cambridge Analytic. Was it Cambridge Analytica? Analytics. Yeah, Cambridge yeah. Cambridge Analytics. When they got busted for that, uh, I kept hearing the 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 concept. That there's 500 points, you know, of a person that they track, and I'm sure it's even more now. But in that moment, right away, I'm more than just a binary. So right yeah. So yeah. I, I do see hope in the future yeah. that the binary will be broken and that people will begin to reject those kind of labels because who wants to be put in a box of right. male, masculine and an asshole, maybe. Right. You know? I mean that's right. the reality right. sometimes that we right. face.
0: Well, I appreciate you coming. That's a, it. I'm, I'm done already. As we as didn't a, get to anything. As a friend, as we a got to the, we, is it ours? Did we
1: talk the whole time yet? No, yes, we, we, we didn't get to the good part. We just talked about my past. You have to have me back then, because the yeah. real meat—the real meat of this—is well, yeah, what do a, comes after. Yeah, the you know?
0: summation of that. For it's your, well,
1: I, you I think conclude. it really is about understanding what it was like to grow up as you're coming out in a nation in the middle of a pandemic, where we went from 1981, when it was finally revealed. I didn't read about it until 1983, and I was a little bit panicked because I was going to return back to the Baptist College. And I didn't, um, you know, I'd had a couple boyfriends while I was down in in, uh, Kentucky area. Um, I I do think when we talk about masculinity and and intimacy, I think back on, um, it seems so strange by today's standard even, I think, is that, you know, I would sleep over two summers vacation from college in a big bed with men who identified as straight. And one was our former roommate. Mm Mm-hmm which we will not mention. Right. I mean, he's a nice person, but right. um, but I, I think it was really beautiful that we were able to share a bed together as, and he knew I was gay and I was kind of coming into my own at that point. Um, and then later on with another gentleman I went to school with at the Baptist College, we would spend the whole summer in the same bed together, sleeping next to each other. And you know, I think I, I would love to be invited back to talk about how I've really learned to understand intimacy and being male. And when you're not, you're not subscribing to the the binary code that you're expected to. Mm. You know, what beautiful things come out of that. And I do think there was something really powerful about, about that that I'm reconnecting now as we come out of COVID because I realize we have not had human touch for a lot of us outside of our own circle I've learned as an extrovert, especially, um, I need human touch to survive. And right. so during COVID, it was finding ways to be with people, be with other humans within a safe context. But now that, you know, we're vaccinated and we can kind of be around each other, I'm really rediscovering intimacy of friendships again. And not saying, like, come on over for a sleepover, Randy. You know, yes. I want you to experience, but everybody else got to experience a Tommy and Beth. It just sounds so creepy when you say yeah. it like that. I know. But but the reality is like. I think we have lost from my own experience of like studying even photographic records, but also human records of um, the ability of men to be intimate together, meaning it's not about an orgasm. It's not about sex. It's just about human touch. Right. And maybe we don't have to even put it in the binary, as I've said. You know, Maybe I need to start saying humans need to touch other humans. And if you're hung up on the binary, you got to get over that because right. you're missing out on the ability to have emotional conversations with another man who may not be on the same sexual track as you are, but you do line up on those other right. points.
0: You know, and that's there's different forms of intimacy, and a lot of times mm-hmm. when I do assessments with guys, I say, "Can you know? T- can you tell m- tell me about your intimacy in your life?" And well, you know, and he's like, "Well, we have sex a couple times a week." It means there, there's this there's this concretization of thinking of 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 intimacy as sexual intimacy, and I think you're speaking to. Many ways that we connect with human beings, and yeah. we need to get back to male to male intimacy that doesn't have to do with anything about sex.
1: Stop cheapening it, yeah. stop going. And the whole yeah. thing is like the things that always happened to me was people prescribing a narrative on me. That I didn't even right. recognize, right. you know, calling you a pedophile, or you know, the early days, right. for example, of of HIV, who, people being hesitant with their children. I mean, one of the one thing that was really powerful growing up, and again, this is why I think it's an important topic, is understanding how you raised your child, right. how you raised your son, and I really appreciated that because when your son said about my partner who had AIDS. Um, how is Frank doing with, how is how is Frank feeling um, something? And alluded to having AIDS. And I, I think you remember in the kitchen where this right. happened, I was completely shocked. And you said, I hope you don't mind, but we have a policy with our child that if they ask questions and we feel as adults they're at the point for the answer, we give them the right answer. Right. We don't say like, you know, like, oh, he got a stork virus, so he's up in bed sick. You treated it for what it was. Yeah. And what came out of that was watching your son though be connected to me in a real human way, but also watching how they went into the community and went off and raised money going in AIDS walks when they were children and raising money because they knew somebody who was impacted by it. So really, I think continuing to have the conversations as queer people, gay people is so incredibly important because it really shows not just, you know, something for people like, oh, I feel so sorry for how we treated you. Yeah, 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 we get that. It's already passed. Um, But but also how we can make sure we don't make the same mistakes into the future. Yeah. That we can let people grow up to be fully who they are. I mean, could you imagine if Tommy Allen was there Able to be Tommy Allen as a child. Oh my God. You know, who I might be today, you know, but yeah, the reality is, I grew yeah. up in the time I am. Yep. And much like Abe Lincoln, bringing it all back again, yep. bringing that context, I had yeah. to work with what I had. Yeah. And I didn't have a lot, but yeah. I was great with what I was given. And so I hope that that was a, a way of kind of surviving and also exploring at the same time how I would navigate that world. The best thing I can hope for now is that as I get older, I will continue to make ro- more room for others to be. Um, Welcome, but also feel like they can be their full, as they say, authentic self. There you go.
0: Well, thank you, Tommy, for coming and talking to us about that. And you are welcome to come back. I
1: would love to come back and talk more about it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Revealing Men. If you're looking for more information about counseling, coaching, and consultative services, please visit the Men's Resource Center of West Michigan online at mencenter.org. Also, feel free to contact us on our website if you have questions about this segment, ideas for a topic, or would like to be a guest on the Revealing Men podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a rating so others can find us. Be well and have a great day.